All right, so now we've got the great multitude. Uh, and as I mentioned before, the 144,000 probably have an evangelistic uh, function on earth. Uh, we know the gospel of the kingdom will preach throughout all the earth during the tribulation. The uh, timing of this seal, because it's broken outside of the chronological order, uh, some like to look at this, uh, this interlude of chapter 7 as calling all the way back to the first seal, that before any judgment at all came on the earth, God sealed these 144,000, they began evangelistic work. Uh, I don't think that's what's being said here. I think it, it is maintaining chronology although it is a parenthesis in the natural progression of Revelation. The purpose is to answer that question, who can stand, uh, but also to show that uh, even in the midst of judgment, God will still be saving mankind out of judgment. Uh, and that's what we'll see in the great multitude, that um, it's perhaps the greatest revival in all of human history is yet future and during the time of the greatest um, tribulation the world has ever seen. Okay, Mark, could I have you read verses 9 to 12? Okay. Um, I don't see them on the screen yet, but... Okay, it should be just a sec. There you go. Get rid of the... My, uh, my uh, thing of the... Uh, everyone participating is covering up. There you go. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches, were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. All right. So in verse 9, we see that a great multitude that is uncountable. Uh, this, I think, is very clear that it's it's not the same group as the 144, which you went into great detail to count. Um, it also says that they come from every nation, all the tribes, all the peoples, all the tongues. Um, it's not explicit about this, but I believe that the, uh, the nation of Israel is included in this list. Uh, there are not only 12,000 from each tribe in existence, and I think those 12,000 from each tribe are specifically called on uh, for a purpose or a function for the Lord, but uh, those will not be the only ones of Israel who are saved. Uh, this great multitude is speaking of all nations, including Israel, uh, which believe on the Lord and are saved during the tribulation. And we see them here standing before the throne, before the Lamb, they're clothed in white, and they have palm branches in their hands. So we'll, we'll take a look at that. Uh, back in uh, chapter 5, we saw, uh, let's see, I'll read this. Chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. When he had taken the book, that's Jesus Christ, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. 
each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. Now, I think the temptation in this verse was to exclude non-church members from this, but we remember that the church is only present on earth between Pentecost and the rapture, that saved or redeemed saints of Israel, or call them Old Testament saints, also tribulation saints, are also equally purchased by the blood of God, or by the blood of uh, Jesus Christ, so that these tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations um, do not constitute only the church, but all saved peoples of God, including those members of Israel who are saved and those during the tribulation who will be saved but do not enter into the body of the church. Uh, the tribulation martyrs are spoken of in Revelation 6, 9 through 11. So we've already seen these, uh, the fifth seal. We've seen a smaller number of martyrs. It says, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they maintained. And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. Now, this group of martyrs in heaven is also distinguished from the uh, 24 elders who we interpret to be the church. So these martyrs during the tribulation are not joining um, the congregation of the church, although they do have some similar characteristics, such as being dressed in white. Uh, but this group of martyrs in the fifth seal were to wait a little longer because the number of the servants of their brethren um, had not yet been completed. Um, so here in the next chapter, we see even more have been added to their number now that they are now they are called a great multitude, uh, whereas before they were just the souls who had been slain. Uh, also important to understand about the white garments is that these, these are for all overcomers, and not all overcomers are in the church. Um, the church is restrained in its period of time, um, but God did not start saving uh, at Pentecost, and he does not stop at the rapture. But since the beginning of time, um, God has redeemed men who have believed in his promises, believed in the seed, believed in the Messiah, um, always on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his saving work. Um, but even before name Jesus Christ was known, those who trusted in the promise of God for eternal life um, had that guarantee, and those are the overcomers. And in John 1, uh, 1 John 5, 4 through 5, uh, John gives us his definition of an overcomer. He says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. These tribulation saints, it is necessary for them um, to have a right understanding of who Jesus is, just like Peter, uh, when he confessed that Jesus is the son of the living God. Um, now that this revelation is available to them, they are responsible for it. Uh, and in so believing, they become overcomers. Uh, these promises to the overcomers are in, uh, 
pretty decent detail. Um, earlier on in the book of Revelation, we came across seven different churches who are promised or who are given promises uh, to the overcomers of which they are all part. Um, to one was promised the tree of life in paradise, uh, another no second to death, uh, hidden manna, a white stone with a new name written on it, authority over the nations, the morning star, white garments, assurance of, the, of their name being the book of life, being a pillar in the temple of God, name of the new Jerusalem and Jesus written on him, and to be glorified with the enthroned Jesus. Uh, so these are all promises that not only the church, but all who overcome uh, by putting their faith in the promises of God from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, and yes, from the tribulation, will all share in these promises to overcomers. And the Day of Atonement, um, we see uh, these palm leaves, palm branches, um, that this great multitude are waving. So in Leviticus 23.40, uh, Moses details God's uh, God's revelation of how they ought to celebrate the Day of Atonement, saying, Now on the first day you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. And this is a celebration um, for their atonement, uh, which they understood through the temple sacrifices, but we look back on and understand um, that Jesus fulfilled uh, these temple sacrifices. So the, this great multitude in heaven that comes out of the great tribulation uh, will be fulfilling this uh, day of atonement, but will have in their mind the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, and that's the same verse. All right. Uh, we saw these palm branches return in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 12 through 13, during the triumphal entry. When Jesus Christ entered the city of Jerusalem, uh, which the uh, the people of Israel understood that their Messiah was coming, but they didn't understand that the Messiah was God himself, uh, that he came to die for them. They did not understand the suffering servant, uh, but they were looking for a political, uh, a political ruler, a king who would remove them from the captivities of Rome. Uh, so when he didn't meet their political desires, uh, they crucified him. And we see here the, the beginning of his entrance that would sadly end in his crucifixion. But uh, through the death of the Lord, uh, salvation was given to all the nations, not just to Israel. And that's given uh, in better detail in Romans 11, I believe. But... Uh, here in John 12, the triumphal entry says, On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So they, uh, they believed that their king had arrived, but they did not believe that their king was the Son of God. Uh, all right, so we have now... The cry of this multitude, what do they say? Uh, oops, what do they say? Uh, they say, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This salvation that they are speaking of, uh, 
I don't believe this speaks of eternal salvation that they're celebrating. And uh, I'll tell you why. I think it's of a physical nature. But here in Revelation 19, 1 through 2, we see a similar um, call of salvation. It says, after these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot, that's uh, Babylon, who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bond servants on her. So remember, during the fifth seal, they were calling for vengeance from the Lord, vengeance on those who had killed them. Uh, I believe here that they are uh, celebrating the salvation of the Lord in physical sense, that he will save some uh, the end of this tribulation period and the gospel the yeah the gospel of matthew during the olivet discourse uh we see that the gospel will be preached and then the end will come um gospel that goes out to this great multitude probably from the 144,000, um, but also we find that at the end of the tribulation an angel will also be flying through the sky preaching this gospel so it kind of crescendos toward the end um uh, the presence of the gospel of the kingdom will be undeniable during the tribulation. Uh, so it says the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Uh, and this kingdom which shall come has never before been on earth, and it's not present in the church. Um, it is a unique kingdom, which is a political government um, of Jesus Christ that will exist on the literal earth after this period of tribulation. Uh, although the Lord rules in the hearts of his church, um, this kingdom which was promised throughout all of the Old Testament has never come into fruition, but it will in the future. So in Psalm 2, verses 7 through 8, uh, David writes, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Uh, this sort of rule over the earth um, has never attained by Jesus Christ, and that will be the purpose of the millennial kingdom. Uh, in the next Psalm, Psalm 3, verse 8, uh, David also uh, attributes salvation to the Lord, saying salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. And the promise of deliverance uh, we see in the prophet Micah, uh, chapter 5, verse 6. It says, they will shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he will deliver us from the Assyrian. The Assyrian is... Um, is a name which is given to the Antichrist. Um, can't remember in what chapter, but I believe it is earlier in Micah. Um, anyways, uh, he will deliver us from the Assyrian when he attacks our land and when he tramples our territory. Um, this deliverance is not speaking of a uh, supernatural or not a, of a spiritual sense, but of a physical sense. Lord would physically deliver them from the Assyrian. And as well, deliverance from the curse. Well, before that, 
I didn't include this verse, but uh, oh shoot, I lost my train. That happens. All right. Uh, Delivers from the curse. Maybe it'll come back to me. Um, in Romans 8, 20 through 22, we see um, that also the earth is uh, held under captivity, and as well, this will be physical salvation for the earth. Um, it says, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Um, I remember the verse, it was from Matthew 24, um, and it says that unless the days be shortened, no flesh would survive, uh, that um, for his elect, he has shortened those days. And I think that that is the salvation that is being spoken of by this multitude is uh, the Lord's conquering over the earth during the time of the tribulation uh, that uh, he will save the earth from ultimate destruction. In this call from heaven, uh, we now see not just this great multitude, but the angels will join in rejoicing. Um, and again, we'll see that uh, they join in with intelligent worship. Uh, so the joy of the angels, the angels are always rejoicing over the lost sheep who come back to the fold. In Luke 15, 8 through 11, one of the parables of the Lord, he says, or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So this is, uh, yeah, the angels rejoicing over repentant believers. And uh, in this list of attributes that they give to the Lord, it almost matches um, the praise of the angels from Revelation 5, uh, verse 12, in that uh, verse say worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing uh, riches here in chapter five was substituted where uh, thanksgiving is added later and then amen is also added um, in chapter seven amen means they're in full agreement uh, i think that's important we've got now the full crowd the multitude of the redeemed um, the tribulation martyrs we also have the angels they are um, saying yes we agree and then they are adding on to it their previous uh, worship of the lord but instead of riches they are saying thanksgiving uh, riches in the context of him taking possession of the earth made perfect sense here in rejoicing over the lord's redeemed thanksgiving uh, makes more sense than riches so we see that they change even this smallest word uh, to fit in the context of what they are worshiping the Lord for. They're not shouting out random attributes. They are thanking him purposefully um, for his various actions uh, in, his, in his many ways which he brings himself glory. Uh, all right, Mark, could I have you read our last verses, verses 13 to 17? 
Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, these who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in, the, in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be the shepherd and will guide them to the springs of the water of life. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Thank you. All right. So in verse 13, a question is posed to John by one of the elders. And remember, the elder is a representative member of the church in heaven. Uh, <clears throat> And it's, it's not a rhetorical question, but it is a leading question. This elder is trying to evoke uh, thought from John. Uh, I mean, if you put yourself in the, uh, mentally into this vision, what John has just recalled having witnessed, he's probably staring in awe of this great rejoicing of the Lord. This is the largest crowd that we've seen yet. Uh, we saw the multitude in heaven, but now add to that multitude in heaven, all of these praising the Lord on earth and, um, and before the throne would come out of the tribulation. He's probably standing there with his jaw hanging down. Uh, this elder wants him to think about what he is seeing. So he asks him a leading question and um, John is not able to answer. So the elder answers for him. Uh, the question was, who are the ones clothed in white robes, and where have they come from? Um, John perhaps is capable of thinking through this, um, but he responds to the elder that, my Lord, you know, and that uh, Lord is supposed to be lowercase because this is not speaking of deity, but rather a master or someone in higher position. So the, uh, the elder answers him and he says they come out of the great tribulation. Uh, they have their white robes. This white robe is representative of the washing of Jesus Christ's blood, the blood of the lamb. And uh, they are before, or uh, because they have been washed, they are before the throne of God. And they will serve him at night in his temple. This uh, great tribulation uh, I honestly do not believe that this should be capitalized. Um, the Great Tribulation speaks specifically of the last three and a half years. Uh, in the Greek, this just speaks of Great Tribulation, as in very large. But the technical term, which is capitalized in Scripture, refers to the last three and a half years, which is the Tribulation specifically on Israel. This is still general and global Tribulation. And I think that's what's spoken of here in Daniel 1, uh, 12, 1, saying, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress, such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. So this verse gives you kind of a panorama of the whole tribulation just in one verse. Uh, 
I think this is the tribulation that is meant in uh, in Revelation 7 being the entire seven years, not just the last half. As well, in Mark 13, Jesus says, for these or for those days will be a time of tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation, which God created until now and never will. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. There's the verse I was trying to come up with earlier. Um, so this great tribulation, um, we see that lots and lots of death will occur during this time, um, both from the wrath of the Lamb, but also the wrath of Satan. The supernatural wrath of the Lamb, which is spoken of in the seals, trumpets, and bowls, should not be confused as the wrath of Satan. Uh, it is the righteous and just judgment of God on an unrighteous and unholy world. Uh, but that does not mean that the elect, the people of Israel, or those who believe uh, in Jesus Christ during the time of the tribulation, they won't be supernaturally protected from the wrath of Satan. Um, he will be gunning for blood um, for all those sealed by God. Uh, their washed robes in Revelation 22, verse 14. We see, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to enter, the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. This is speaking of the eternal state uh, after the millennial kingdom when they enter into heaven, the new heaven, the new earth. Um, that those who have washed their robes in the blood of Jesus Christ will be worthy to eat from the tree of life. Uh, at the end of Genesis chapter 3, we see that God removed Adam and Eve from the garden for the express purpose of keeping them from eating the tree of life. This tree of life will be opened to them once again, uh, now only to those who have washed clean of their sins. The blood of Christ is spoken of in terms of the new covenant in Hebrews 9, uh, verses 13 to 14. Uh, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve, for, uh, to serve the living God? And uh, a little later in the chapter, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin, to those who eagerly await him. Uh, so the blood of Jesus Christ, elsewhere in Hebrews, it says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, uh, that this spilling of blood of Christ was necessary for our cleansing. Uh, and that uh, having that assurance of salvation, uh, we are washed clean. In Revelation 22 1 through 4, uh, we see the service uh, or the, the dwelling of man with God in eternal state. Uh, they're promised an eternal dwelling in the temple of God or to tabernacle with God. Um, he says, then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruits every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no, long, there will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God, the Lamb, will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And uh, continuing on in the same chapter, and there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bond servants the things which must, must soon take place. So notice as well uh, that the promise offered to the overcomers, the promise to these martyrs, speak not specifically of the millennial kingdom, but of the eternal state. The millennial kingdom's purpose is to fulfill the promises to the nation of Israel. This great multitude, though they will enjoy the blessings of Israel, the millennial kingdom, their, their ultimate uh, reward comes in eternal state, uh, where there will no longer be any presence of sin, no presence of um, the curse. During the millennial kingdom, if we remember from Isaiah chapter 65, the curse will be pulled back. It will be restrained, but it won't be abolished until the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, so all of these um, blessings and promises to these martyrs, they will enjoy them through the millennial kingdom and into the eternal state. Uh, but the, the final state that they will enjoy these in uh, telescopes all the way to the eternal state, hopping over the millennial kingdom. Um, and that's because it's not a congregation made only of the Jewish people, but it's a congregation of all the redeemed. Um, the second half of the elders answer about who the people are, uh, he's going to give their relation to God and also their relation to Jesus. Uh, he says, and he who's on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer nor thirst anymore nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. Remember, the sun uh, will not be present in the eternal state. Jesus Christ himself will be the light, uh, which we see by. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Uh, I think this is speaking about the new Jerusalem that will be present in the eternal state in the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21, uh, John records, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe every tear, wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And finally, uh, in Revelation 21, 5 through 7, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. 
the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So in conclusion, our great multitude, this is a revival of massive proportion, which will result from the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom during the tribulation. Those who are saved spiritually will not be spared physically from the persecution of the Antichrist, but they have an eternal promise awaiting them. Who is able to stand the great and terrible wrath of the Lamb? Those washed in the blood of the Lamb will be saved. Right? And that we finish chapter seven. Good, yeah. right. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah. We're good. good. Yeah. So uh, next next week uh, we're gonna take our break from Revelation and do uh, go back to Genesis again for one session. We'll look at Genesis 12, 15, 17, and 22. So we're going to have to go kind of fast through that. So we selected. We're going to be looking at the Abrahamic covenant. Um, so that the covenant that God made with Israel was an eternal covenant um, that promised them this inheritance of a land um, and seed. So uh, we'll look at that in some detail next week. All right. Any questions? Only about 100. <laughs> I'll write them down. I'll give them my best go. <laughs> you re-listen on the YouTube channel. So I, can... I know yeah. I missed. I need to go back and look. Um, every, about who the 20, you said the 24 elders are the, the church? Yeah. I got to go back and look at that because I don't... <laughs>